630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Boston Bruins lead the Toronto Maple Leafs 1-0 after the first period. Also after one, it is 1-1. St. Louis and Columbus early in the second. Devils up one zip on the Penguins. Canadians and Capitals are scoreless late in the first period. Philadelphia leads Ottawa 1-0. Tyler Pitlick with his first goal of the season for the Flyers. The Oilers practicing today. Back at it tomorrow afternoon against the Dallas Stars. 12.30 face-off show here on 6.30. Chad, the game will start at 2, and the Oilers hoping to ride the wave of last night's magic. McDavid in front to Neal. Slittered in front, one-timer to save made. Werner on dry side. Hard rim around the boards. Kleppbaum able to keep it in. A lunging Cole beaten by McDavid. Walks in, shoots, and scores! Undressed Cole! Nugent Hopkins and Neal. Here's McDavid in across the line. Wrist shot score. Top right corner. A thing of beauty. An absolute rocket. Now McDavid. Wrist shot score. Second hat trick in three games for Connor McDavid. 5-1 Edmonton. And here comes the headgear at Rogers Place. The Oilers jumping all over the avalanche to win it 6-2. The Oilers are 13-6-2 on the season in terms of points. They are third overall in terms of points percentage. They are fifth overall. The Oilers have played more games than most teams in the NHL. The special teams, very special. The power play, second in the NHL at almost 32%. The penalty kill, a massive weakness on the Oilers the last two years. Fourth in the league at 87.3%. So a lot of things clicking for Edmonton. Expect the same lineup tomorrow against the Stars, except Miko Koskinen in goal in place of Mike Smith, who uh, was one of, well, everybody bounced back from the loss to San Jose back on Tuesday. uh, East final, I, I just, the Eskimos in a playoff game. I find it natural to say West Division, but they are in the East final on Sunday morning. 9.30 countdown to kickoff, game at 11 as they take on the mighty Hamilton Tiger Cats. And in the hammer, my good buddy Dave Campbell. Dave, how are you doing? Reed, doing great, man. Uh, how, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing all right. I, I'm, I'm doing all right. I had a, I had an adult moment today. I had a root canal, so another, yes. another step towards adulthood for me. But uh, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Uh, did you get, did you get a, uh, did you get a new toothbrush? You know what? They, they didn't give me a new toothbrush. 
What the heck is that? Go well, back, I got, complain. I got one when I had my cleaning. Well, I use an oh. electric toothbrush anyway, so when they give me oh. the uh, a new toothbrush, that just usually winds up becoming a travel toothbrush. Used a couple. Okay, of well, you had other issues that you know <laughs> yeah. supersede a toothbrush today. So I, I'm glad you had. Yeah, I'm glad you had the procedure. And hope, hope you're going to feel better now. I, I, I think I'm going to feel better in the long run for sure. Still, Good. still a little frozen, but I could talk, so that's all right. Hey, uh, so you, you went to the hammer. Yeah. Um, what's the how, how excited is, is that city for this game? I think they're crazy excited here. Uh, a sellout on Sunday at Tim Hortons Field, so that's going to be fun. Uh, I think this city is really, really a buzz about this team. I mean, they're fifteen and three. They're nine and zero at home. There's a legitimate chance that this team could be having a Grey Cup party. But of course, the Eskimos, you know, the moniker, why not us? So they're going to come and. You know, try and spoil the party, and uh, but it's going to be a formidable task. As, as as much as we thought last week was going to be a challenge with the Montreal Alouettes, and the Eskimos uh, cleared that challenge in a big way. Uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are definitely uh, a notch or two uh, uh, above the uh, the Alouettes. It's going to be it's going to be tough. Well, just uh, an incredible Tiger Cats team, Dave. And, and the well, a few, a few things worry me <laughs> going into this game. And as <laughs> really? you know, I. So, you know, when people asked me last week, do you think the Eskimos have a chance against Montreal? I always said yes, but I favor the Alouettes. And the line mm-hmm. I used was if, if you played this last week's game 100 times, I thought the Eskimos might win 30 to 35. So, you know, right. I, thought, I thought Montreal was, you know, had a 66% chance of winning basically to round it off. Uh, this week... Uh, I mean, look, if you played this game 100 times, and I realize all the good things Edmonton did well last weekend, but I still think if you played this game 100 times, Hamilton's probably winning 85 to 90. Like, I, I really believe they're that good. I'm not disrespecting uh, the Eskimos. I, I'm not try, trying to be pessimistic or just sensationalize it, and I'm not one of those guys that is, is saying, oh, well, the team in the city I, I live in, uh, I'm going to try to do some kind of reverse mojo by picking against them. I just yeah. think Hamilton is that good. And the thing that really worries me, Dave, is how fast they are and how mm. quickly they execute plays. And they did that when they beat the Eskimos by 30 a couple months ago. Yeah, they have probably the most uh, talented group of receivers in the league. And they are all, you know... Uh, their, their big guns are under six feet, right? And you got Brandon Banks, who's going to likely be the MOP uh, next week uh, when it's announced at Grey Cup on on the Thursday during Grey Cup week. Uh, Braylon Addison has come out of uh, you know basically kind of out of nowhere. I mean, a year ago he started in the East semifinal against the BC Lions, and and he looked great. And um, another one of those. Uh, ex-Toronto Argos that I don't know what Jim Pop was doing at the time when he was the general manager, but he, you know, another player slipped through his fingertips. He's been an amazing player. Now they have Luke Tasker back, who is, I think, one of the best possession receivers in this league when he's, when he's healthy. And then you got, you got uh, Marcus Tucker. You got uh, some other pieces as well. They got a running game with uh, Tyrell Sutton in the backfield. He's, he's a physical back, but you know, you're right. I mean, they're so athletic, and, and that receiving core makes you defend every inch of the field, and you better run with them because that's how they play. They, you know, they can run down the field, but they can also run the short stuff and make things happen quickly uh, when it comes to yards after catch. They, you know, Addison has been used as a running back 
uh, quite a few times this year, and he's been very successful out of the backfield. And then we haven't talked about Dane Evans, eleven or sorry, nine and two as a starter this year. Got off to a bit of a slow start, maybe halfway through his time as the starter, but you know, I think past mid-September he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league, averaging well over 300 yards passing and, and throwing more touchdowns and interceptions. So if you're the Eskimos' defense, you're relying on the front seven to get pressure, and you're re- relying on the front seven to to contain as well. Uh, to make sure that Banks and Addison and, and Sutton, those players don't hurt you. And then the secondary, they got to hold up. And I thought overall they did a pretty good job against that Alouette defense led by Vernon Adams. Uh, they gave up the odd big play, but overall they played really well. Josh Johnson with three interceptions will prove that. But uh, I think they got a tougher task on Sunday for sure. Okay, so Philip Lawley, we, we know what he's been like as a coach he he got, gave that great clip, one of the best quotes of the year we had on Inside Sports shortly after he was hired. When I asked him about his philosophy, he says, look, I, I, I'll paraphrase, but he said, i got to be a smart coach and coach to the ability of the players that I, I have, but my default switch is to bring pressure and try mm-hmm. to pressure the quarterback, hit the quarterback, sack the quarterback. But will he be that predictable Philip Lawley against Hamilton or might he maybe drop back and say I got to have guys in position to tackle after the completion is made or to, I think, or, or to knock down pass yeah yeah I see what you're saying I, I think to a certain extent he does what he did against Vernon Adams and and Dane Evans is a different quarterback than Vernon Adams because he doesn't run as much as Vernon Adams even though he has that ability but I think it's a mixture it's it, it's pressure and it's also what you're throwing at him as far as the uh, looks you give him with coverage so I think it's a little bit of both. You know, as good as the Ticats are, they're led by a rookie quarterback. So can you play some games with this rookie quarterback? Um, and I think we're not going to see a steady diet of pressure. I think that's their, that's their, their strength, but I think Philip Lawley is going to try and rely on the secondary like he did in Montreal and, and just throw different, different coverages at the way of Dane Evans and see if he can read it and, and respond to it well. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a mixture. I, I don't think it's going to be a, an overly blitz-heavy defense, but I think that's their bread and butter. They're, they're going to feel like in certain situations that they can dial up a blitz and they can dial up pressure and, and, and they can get there. But the advantage they have, too, Reed, is that they have, four, they have four guys on that D-line that can get pressure. So if he has to drop eight in the coverage and, and make Dane Evans trying to hold on to the football, and if you do that, then that D-line has a, has a shot of getting to the quarterback. So I don't think it's a steady diet of pressure, 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 but I do think it's more pressure, but you're going to throw different looks at uh, Dave Evans with coverage and see if he can read it, and you're going to try and confuse him. Dave Campbell joining us from Hamilton. Eskimos and Tiger Cats in the East final Sunday at 11. Our coverage will start at 9.30 in the morning. From the other side of the ball, Trevor Harris was brilliant one of the best playoff performances of all time by a quarterback. He set a couple of records and his team won the game. So you got to put it, I think, in a, in a league-wide category as one of yep. the best playoff performances of all time. What do you think the Hamilton defense will do differently from what Montreal? Because I, cause I do think there were some things Montreal did that might have played to Harris's strengths. Yeah, I agree with you. And the one thing they did, and they kept doing it and doing it and refused to change, was they played this soft zone coverage on Trevor Harris. And Trevor Harris, it was an easy read for him. He and Greg Ellingson had a great 
uh, rapport, and Ellingson knew the soft spots in that zone defense to go attack. Ricky Collins Jr., same thing. But I think it's a different variable variables with this Ticat defense. And Trevor Harris told us on our pro, uh, postgame show, he told Borley and I that we're going to have to we're going to have to use more deep shots in our game next week because the Tiger Cats, they do like to rely on pressure. They do pressure from the linebacking core, but they also like to play games up front and in coverage and, and try to confuse the quarterback. So, But I think they're going to go after Trevor Harris. They're going to try and blitz him. They're going to try and hit him early. So you got Trevor Harris, who's probably the best quarterback in the league right now at, at reading the defense pre-snap, understanding what's what's going to happen, and then reacting. So, you know, if, if the Ticats bring one more than the Eskimos can block, then Trevor Harris has to know where his hot reads are. But that just means get the ball out faster to a receiver. Um, if it's all blocked up up front, you're going to have to try and hit your, you know, your one-on-ones when you can, when they're available, and then you use your checkdowns and other in other scenarios as well. Gable and Cooper will be big in the in the pass game both as a runner and a receiver and, and a blocker. But there, there's no question that the Tiger Cats, I mean, it's a different vari- it's a different variable, like I said, because the Alouettes, as good as their defense is, and I think they're not bad. I don't like their front four as much other than John Bowman, but they had a rookie uh, CFL defensive coordinator, Bob Slowick. Well, they don't have that with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They have a longtime veteran in this league as a player and as a coach and a D coordinator in Mark Washington, who's who understands CFL offenses to a T. This is a veteran coaching staff all around. You got a veteran OC and Tommy Condell. You got a veteran special teams coordinator and Jeff Reinbold. So that's very helpful to someone like Orlando Steinauer, where last week, Kahari Jones, as good of a coach he was, didn't have a good coaching staff and he didn't coach that game and manage that game very well. I think Orlando Steinauer has a better chance of managing the game better than Kahari Jones just because of the staff he has. But there's no question. Uh, the, the variable that is so intriguing with this game, Reed, because we didn't see it in the regular season because Trevor Harris was hurt. He's healthy now. And I think this this makes this very interesting. And, you know, I think Hamilton is no question favored, but I think there's people saying Trevor Harris could be the, a big X factor here and an upset isn't totally out of the realm of possibility here. All right. And the last one, Dave, what is Hamilton's version of the Barbie barn? Um... Oh, hmm. Well, they got a good burger joint here called the Works. Okay. And they have, uh, oh, they have a great wing place called the Anchor Bar. That's a that's oh, a chain right. here. The spinoff yeah. from the one in uh, Buffalo. Exactly. So that's pretty good. All right. Well, well the, the hotel we're staying at is is kind of far away from downtown uh, Hamilton. We're about twenty twenty five minutes away. Oh, but really? there is a Walmart on site where the uh, hotel is located. So that's where I'm going next. That's. <laughs> That's really exciting, Dave. There you go. Go to Walmart on a Friday night. You've peaked. Oh yeah. You've I, peaked. I, I, I just, I've reached another level. I just don't <laughs> think it's the level people think. <laughs> Dave, this is going to be a fun weekend, man. Have a great call on Sunday. Thank you, man, and uh, have a good call tomorrow with the Oilers. And uh, can Connor McDavid duplicate what what he did yesterday? I don't think he has to, but man, that was awesome to watch. That was a lot of fun. See you, buddy. Dave Campbell checking in from Hamilton. He did a great job outlining some of the stories for this game. He did a great job going over the strategical approaches these teams are likely going to take against each other. 
And uh, he, he, he made a good point. The two previous times these teams played, Trevor Harris was not in the lineup. Uh, Logan Kilgore played both games. He pulled off an incredible comeback in the game in Edmonton. Edmonton tied it down 20 after being down 24 fell behind three tied it again and Hamilton ultimately won on that last second kick that banked in off the upright and then Hamilton just completely outclassed and steamrolled the Eskimos when they played at Tim Hortons field but hopefully a much different uh, Eskimos team with Harris at the controls well we usually do this the last inside sports before big football games usually during the CFL playoffs and then before the great uh before the super bowl so we'll do it again this week uh 7804960063 is now how you text us and call us so if you've been texting 6:3630 we'll just ask you to to change your habits 7804960063 give me your f- scores for the two division finals on the weekend and i got to hand it to most of you picked the eskimos to win in montreal last weekend while uh, while i was going to montreal and we'll get to those predictions as we go along or we might even have a phone call when we get back inside sports on chat rob is so excited to give his score prediction he is actually called in go ahead okay. Rob. go ahead rob hey how are you doing good sorry i was on the other line <laughs> that's okay this is you're on with reed now what's your what's your score prediction reed score is going to be 38 24 eskimos so they're going to be in control you think eh Definitely. How come? Give me some reasons or a reason or two. Well, quarterbacking. He's going to come on flying. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll give you that because that's the one thing I'm hopeful. Trevor Harris has done this before. Dane Evans has not at the pro nope. level. And uh, you can't overcome a bad quarterback performance in football. It's pretty hard. you got to do it. What's happening in the West? Ooh. I got nothing but Saskatchewan in-laws, so... I'm hoping it goes the other way. <laughs> You're picking yeah. pick. Okay. Yes. Got it. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Bye. That's Rob, 780-496-0063. Also, some text rolling in. Bob says the Eskimos win 38-28. Mike on the north side says Hamilton wins 37-26. And Winnipeg wins by two over the Riders. And an anonymous texter says uh, Winnipeg 24, Saskatchewan 20. And Hamilton takes down the Eskimos 41-32. Always fun to hear your predictions at this time of year. More on the Eskimos. More on the uh, Riders-Bombers. More on the Oilers, but we'll talk a little basketball next with Glenn Grunwald. He's the president of Canadian basketball. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Rivalry renewed tonight. It's 1-1 halfway through the second period. Austin Matthews has his 14th of the year. Pittsburgh trailing New Jersey 1-0 late in the second period. Also late in the second, 4-0 Montreal up on Washington. They scored four goals in about eight minutes to take control. The Blues lead Columbus 2-1. That's in the second period. Early in period two, Philadelphia up 1-0 in Ottawa. 
Oil Kings road game tomorrow, home game on Sunday, oilkings.ca for all your ticketing info. They are having a great season. The uh, U of A Golden Bears hockey team home to Regina tonight. That starts at 7 at Claire Drake. The Oilers farm team, the Bakersfield Condors, playing Colorado on the road tonight and tomorrow. And, of course, the Oilers in action tomorrow. It's a matinee. I know you, you dread those. The Oilers don't have a great record historically in afternoon games. 12.30 for the face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. 2 o'clock for puck drop. And the East final time on Sunday, 9.30 in the morning for the countdown to kickoff. And the game will start at 11. One other score I want to be sure to tell you about, the Canadian women's national basketball team beating Cuba last night at the Expo Centre, one ten fifty three. This is part of the pre-qualifying tournament, which uh, will continue the next couple days at the Expo Centre as well. And for the latest on that and some other basketball-related stories, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the president and CEO of Basketball Canada. It is Glenn Grunwald. Glenn, you're on with Reed. Good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Uh, very good. It's great to be here in Edmonton and uh, see our team play so well yesterday. Looking forward to tomorrow's game. Well, I, I want to ask you about uh, the, the game last night. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was covering uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl uh, lighting up the avalanche, and it looks like the Canadian women were able to do the same to Cuba. Almost, uh, well, they did double them on the scoreboard. Yeah, we 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 played very well, and and uh, you know we we shot the ball well, and we really played uh, as a team together. And I think it, it goes to the, the the fact that they've been able to train here in Edmonton over the many years, and and how that's really contributed to the success of our team, which is now ranked fourth in the world. Yeah, outstanding ranking. This has been a strong program. It's been so awesome to have them uh, based in Can- in Edmonton for the last few years. I, I got to ask you about a preview of the weekend. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Canada's ranking fourth. Cuba was 26. Puerto Rico is uh, is next at 24, and then the Dominican Republic at 40. You'd, you'd have to favor Canada, but tell us a little bit about these two opponents coming up. Well, Puerto Rico stomped the Dominican Republic yesterday. They looked really good. Uh, they won, I think, by 50 points, 108 to 58. So this will be a good test for us tomorrow. And uh, hopefully we'll have a good crowd because we'll need some fans to cheer us on because it's going to be a good game. And uh, Puerto Rico is a very quick, talented team. They shot the ball incredibly well yesterday. It's going to be an entertaining basketball game. All right. And this is the pre-qualifying tournament, so the top two teams, and you're going to have to help me out here, Glenn, the, <laughs> yeah. the top two teams out of this advance, what, then they're, what do they advance to? I guess would be my question. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the, uh, the, 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 the tournament that will determine which teams from the Americas region, that's North, South, Central, and the Caribbean uh, countries uh, will, will represent uh, uh, you know our, our area in the Olympics. So, so the two teams from this tournament will move on to another four-team tournament. That they just announced the sites of those. It's in uh, Serbia, France, Belgium, and China. So we'll be playing another set of games, another three three uh, three game round robin with four other teams in February. And from and if we finish in the top three, then we'll move on to the Olympics. So we have an excellent chance. Our team is playing very well. But we need to, you know, take care of business here in Edmonton and then move on in February and, and do well there. So, so we're excited. That'll be the third year in a row that our women will have represented Canada at the Olympics if we can be successful. To, to what do you owe the, the success of the, of the women's program? And look, I know when, and, and I have obviously with the Plouffe sisters being here and Kia Nurse has been on the show in the past, that 
they haven't quite got to that that stage they wanted to with the Olympics, but nonetheless, they've been a top eight, top five ranked team for well as, as far back as as I can remember. I think through the last couple Olympic cycles, why has the women's team been so good? Well, you know, basketball is just becoming more popular, and more and more people are playing it. More and more girls are playing it at a younger age, and, and that just uh, you know uh, helps with uh, you know the the bottom of the funnel. Uh, we get more talented players, and, and there's great role models now in our women's program. People like uh, Kia Nurse, who you mentioned, uh, is just a great role model for for young girls, not only in terms of, of her, her play, but how she conducts herself and, and what a credit she is to her family and, and our country. Um, I think the other thing that is really helpful, you know, we started out when we first moved to Edmonton for our senior training center. We were 12th in the world. But the ability to train here on a consistent basis with great facilities uh, really has helped us uh, move, move the program forward, and we can't thank Edmonton enough for that. Well, it's been really cool, and there have been obviously other international tournaments here and games here as a result, which is uh, which is nice to see. I've been able to attend. Uh, there were games at the... Uh, the Savile Center in the past, right. and it's always exciting right. to go to those. That's a great facility to watch as well. Okay, what is okay? So you you, you outlined the the women's process. What's going on with this tournament coming up in Victoria in June? Because is this not also part of the Olympic qualifying process? Yeah, the men have a slightly different system. So uh, um, we uh, we will be hosting a tournament uh, where six teams will play, five others including Canada in Victoria in june june 23rd to the 28th and that will be uh, to determine the winner of that tournament will go on to the olympics uh so we'll have uh, uh, a, a home court advantage there it was very important for our men to get that advantage just like we have here in edmonton and and as you know we have a, a talented team and we're very hopeful that uh we'll be able to to get a lot of those guys out particularly now that we're we're playing in canada it'll be that much more appealing to those players to come out and play Okay, and, and maybe an obvious question, but I'll ask in case there's something else to it. Is the men's process different simply because of the professional cycle and the NBA cycle, or, or what are we looking at? Yeah, it is different. And the reasons why, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, the, the men's World Cup tournament happens uh, this past summer in China. The women's World Cup tournament happened in uh, Tenerife, Spain, uh, two summers ago. So, so we're in a, sort of a different cycle, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is different. Uh, FIBA operates in mysterious ways, the international governing body. So that's the system that we're, we're working within. And, and I think, again, we have a great chance to, to qualify for the Olympics if, uh, uh, by playing in Victoria. FIBA operates in mysterious ways. It's like you knew what else I wanted to talk about tonight, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, this has been a big topic uh, on my show. I, I did kind of some thoughts about I think it was two weeks ago today, Paul Surf from Basketball Alberta came on. Uh, I know a lot of listener reaction um, is kind of similar to mine where, okay, fine FIBA and the IOC, you want to do the 3x3 qualifying that way, but why are you leaving out some pretty good teams and some pretty good athletes? For the Coles notes, if anybody has missed this, the Canadian... Uh, women's three-on-three uh, -three team includes Catherine and Michelle Plouffe from Edmonton. They had a great summer. They were ranked number two. They finished the season ranked number two on their tour. Uh, they won the last four tournaments they played in, including the one in Edmonton. They are not included in the Olympic qualifying process for the eight teams who will compete in Tokyo in the summer. Um, 
the, the understanding I have, Glenn, is that simply Canada wasn't strong enough as a federation because really there weren't other other women's teams playing and, and, and racking up points. Like, is that a fair... I guess I'll start factual before I get any emotional or analytical reaction to you. Like, is that a, f- a fair summary, like, you from how you experience this? Yeah, it's, it's very complex. And, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the good news is that the, the men's team, led by Steve Sir from Team Edmonton, did qualify for the Olympic qualifying uh, tournament that will be taking place in India in March. So that's the good news. The bad news is that the Ploofs and uh, the, their team, you know, were, were not eligible uh, to participate in the uh, in the uh, the Olympic qualifying tournament in India coming in, in in March because for a variety of reasons, you know, had they been, had they been able to finish in the top ten uh, in the world, then they would have been eligible. But they, you know, they, it was uh, you know a. a Difficult process to explain. So, so some of the points that federations receive is based upon just how many participants you have. So, so a country like Mongolia that has a large population and has, uh, you know, really uh, captured the, the, the three on three game has captured the interest of the people there has been very successful. A week, we haven't had the same success in, in terms of getting people to pay attention to three on three and participate in it. Uh, I know when I was a younger uh, guy still playing basketball, there used to be huge three-on-three tournaments across the U.S., and, uh, and now that seems to have disappeared. So, um, so yeah, so part of the reason was that, uh, that we didn't finish the top ten as a federation, uh, and part of the reason was, you know, that uh, the, the men's team was ranked ahead of them and because of this universality rule. Uh, you know, we were only uh, eligible to send one team. So the lower-ranked team, which happened to be the, the Plouffe sisters team, uh, was not ranked in the top ten. So okay. it's very complex and difficult to explain, much less understand. So <laughs> that, I think you're right in a nutshell. Uh, but, yes, there's lots of, lots of reasons for it. And it's very unfortunate because, as you mentioned, they are one of the best teams in the world and did really well on the women's tour. Okay, so while I get to ask you, Glenn, the question probably a lot of people have, uh, have asked, a lot of other people have asked you the last couple of weeks, if if we all knew part of the criteria was grassroots and, and just having people participate, why didn't a country as developed as Canada do a better job there? Like, could, I mean, i got to ask you bluntly, well, how come Canada basketball didn't do a better job there? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. Again, it's just not as popular. We, we ran 13... 13- Canada Quest tournaments across Canada this year, uh, which is more than we ever have, uh, but it's just not that popular, and particularly on the women's side of things. And so often we, we started a tournament that had a women's division and there was not enough people to sign up, so we had a camp. But so I think we're hopeful that this is a developing sport again. It's hopefully going to get back to where it was, and maybe the Olympics will be that uh, uh, catalyst that will get people playing. And uh, I don't think you can blame Canada basketball. I think it's uh, a lot of other countries that are much larger obviously have the ability to generate a lot more points because they just have that many more people. Have you talked to the Plouffe sisters or anybody on that Canadian team that did so well? And can you share any of that, uh, that dialogue or emotion there? Yeah, no, they're, they're obviously disappointed. Uh, we've talked to them all along. We've you know, supported them as best we can. You know, unfortunately, because it is a new sport, you know, we don't get any funding from Sport Canada or on the podium or the COC. 
Uh, we're hopeful that we'll be able to generate some funding for the uh, uh, Steve Sears team, Team Edmonton, as they move forward in the in the uh, in the process for the qualification of the Olympics. So, again, it's part of it is it's a a new system. Part of it is FIBA's trying to figure out uh, how to make it work. I mean, one of the intentions of FIBA and the IOC, the International Olympic Committee was that they wanted to get countries that had not been successful or had not participated in the Olympics in five-on-five basketball to have the opportunity uh, to play in three-on-three basketball. And they designed the system so that that could happen. And that's why a country like Mongolia, which frankly doesn't have a very good three-on-three team but had great participation across the, the country, is now already qualified for the Olympics. Uh, not even the Olympic qualifying tournament are going directly to the Olympics. So the system is sort of working the way it's designed, uh, but unfortunately for you know the Plute sisters in Canada, it uh, left us out cold. Yeah, well, and I mean, somebody just texted in, uh, aren't the Olympics supposed to be about the best athletes? When you brought that up with the IOC or with FIBA, I, I'm just wondering what kind of reaction you would you would have got because... That, that's why people, and look, Edmontonians, is, it's probably a bigger story in Edmonton because of the Ploofs. Any, any sports fan in Edmonton knows them and how well they've done going back to their, their high school careers. So we're, we're still sitting there. A lot of us are sitting here in Edmonton thinking, Glenn, okay, I understand if you want to reward grassroots and get the sport growing, but why not have bigger than an eight-team tournament so you can get the top teams in as well? Because more teams in the Olympics should get more nations interested in watching and playing. Yeah, no, I, I, again, uh, it's, a, it's an excellent point. You know, the Olympics generally mean excellence and let the best compete against the best. But but I guess it's also sort of a business in that they're trying to attract new countries and new fans to the Olympics and to new sports, and that's why they determined that they wanted to, to conduct the qualification process in such a way that, you know, countries that have not been successful or participating in basketball at the Olympics would have the opportunity to do it. And, you know that's that was their decision. Uh, again, it's a I would say more of a business decision than it than it was a true sport decision. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. And look, I'm not trying to pile on you or Canada basketball, but I mean, like, it is it is a story, right? So, and it's pretty. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's 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 very unfortunate. But the Blues should be proud of what they accomplished. I mean, I think they started out 96 or something like that and made it all the way up to 26 in a relatively short amount of time. And won five tournaments and finished high in the other ones they, they competed in. So, obviously, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the world, and uh, unfortunate that they won't be able to represent Canada. But they should be proud of what they accomplished in the, over the summer. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and, and of course, you're here for the, uh, the pre-Olympic qualifying for the, uh, for the women's national team. The win yesterday, 110-53 over Cuba. Back at it tomorrow against Puerto Rico. Uh, Sunday is against Dominican Republic of, what is it, five tomorrow and four on Sunday, so people can check that out at the Expo Center. So basically, if they win one of those two games, they're, they're going to move on to the next stage. Yeah, yes, we should be good. Uh, but it'll be a good game tomorrow against Puerto Rico, so hopefully we'll get a lot of fans out and they'll enjoy some good quality basketball and hopefully an exciting game. Glenn, it's always great to have you on the show. I always appreciate your perspective. Thanks for taking some time for us this evening. I know it's busy for you. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. That is Glenn uh, Glenn Grunwald checking in, the president and CEO of uh, Canada Basketball. So uh, I, I hear you, those of you texting in to 780-496-0063. Um, 
I mean, you can give me your reaction after that interview. And he, he basically said it. It was more of a, a business-type decision than necessarily one rewarding the best athletes. He, I didn't get the impression he was overly thrilled with it either. I mean, I guess if you have great athletes in your sport that you're governing and they're excluded from the Olympics, you're not going to be happy about that. Um, you know, Canada basketball has been uh, accused by some of not doing enough to get 3x3 growing he he said simply on the women's side the interest isn't there should have they done more well i i would say uh, i would say probably and i would hope that they would work on that but that's the story with the ploofs and uh and canada not getting to go on to the team i just find this story very frustrating to talk about it because it's it's very and I really encourage anybody, if I'm missing something or correct me if I'm wrong on anything, I honestly want to hear from you. But I just find it very frustrating because it's illogical. And it seems to me everybody involved with it or close to it admits it's illogical. And yet it still everybody kind of went along with it or was forced to accept it. And and that kind of bugs me. But. Maybe I'm just being a cranky middle-aged man. 780-496-0063 is how you can text. Also how you can call. We're back after the break. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Hey, I want to remind you, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down South Comfort Food to Edmonton with their creative take on Southern Classics, spun with a modern twist, northchickenyeg.com. Excellent chicken. Doritos mac and cheese, very good. Doug texting into 63630. He says, can the Plouffe sisters join Team Canada? They would be welcome. Their talent is undeniable. Can't they at least get on the team as spares or something? Well, Doug... The Plouffe sisters are obviously excellent players. They, though, said they're retiring, quote-unquote, from the national team program to pursue 3x3. Um, I, I, I'd have to check if if they... I mean, I'm sure they could be welcome back, but Canada basketball, I think, is probably going with the athletes that uh, they have in this tournament and who will continue on through the Olympic qualifying process. They, they went for it in 3x3. Um, it turns out the... It's not their performance, it's the rules and the uh, funny setup of the qualifying process that's keeping them out. But, yeah, good question, Doug. Hope things are good in the border city. But this is, to me, this is going to be, you know, all the, all the, when you're doing this job, you start to think, like, what, what are you going to remember years from now? Because you cover so much stuff on a, on a day-to-day basis. And I think from this year, I'll remember, like, 20 years from now, I'll be sitting there thinking, like, yeah, like, the Plouffe sisters got left out of the... And, I, and there are other athletes on that team, but we talk mostly about the Plouffe sisters to, to focus on the Edmonton angle of the story for sure, but I'll kind of remember, yeah, that was the year the Plouffe sisters in Canada had this awesome 3x3 team and they were left out because there weren't enough Canadian women's teams playing the sport. Their excellence was just sort of overlooked. Doug at 780-496-0063. Go ahead, Doug. Hey, Reed. Yeah, I mean, the biggest question for me is if you look at the World Tour and World Challenger uh, that he was put on in 3x3, 
Uh, on the men's side, the women's side is still growing, but on the men's side, you're seeing tournaments that are significantly bigger than eight uh, than eight teams. So when I first heard about this, um, I, I couldn't believe there were only eight teams. And this is a few months ago that I, I learned this, and so it was really surprising to me. And I mean, the other comparison, and I haven't gone back to look, but if you look at 1996 in Atlanta, where beach volleyball made its first appearance, I almost guarantee you there were more than eight teams there. So uh, I mean, that's a long time ago, and the Olympics are very different now. So I'm not sure if it's it's a venue issue that they're trying to minimize that as part of the IOC's Agenda 2020. That could be a factor in terms of trying to minimize how many teams are there. Uh, but it's it's a really surprising move, and I think you alluded to it earlier. When you're trying to grow the sport, to me, that makes absolutely no sense to keep a tournament. I mean, you could basically play this thing in in a day, right. in the sense that you've got. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I, I think they're doing a round robin followed by quarters, semis, and finals. So it wouldn't be one day, but realistically. Their 10-minute games are up to 21, so it's fairly quick already. Teams are used to playing multiple games in a day, so this is a quick it's a quick event. So, uh, yeah, I'm rambling here a bit, but it's definitely very surprising what they've done. I'm glad to hear from you, and I just quickly Googled it. Uh, I believe there were 24 yeah. beach volleyball go. teams, uh, and I believe that obviously would be per gender. Right. Uh, at the f- the first time it was held in Atlanta. Well, you mentioned the Olympics are different than they were uh, 25, 24 years ago, Doug. Yeah, I think they're worse <laughs> if you're leaving. Yeah, well, like, yeah, this is I like think that's tell- fair. This is like telling Donovan Bailey he couldn't run because there aren't enough other fast people in Canada. Like it's yeah, insane. no, it's you know, and I get what FIBA is trying to do in terms of growing the game. I understand that, and the point system is extremely complicated, and I I've tried to figure it out. I don't, I'm not smart enough yet to understand it, but. But no, you're right. It doesn't make any sense when you're trying to grow the sport, especially when you only have eight teams. You're going to have some teams there potentially that are not world caliber at all, and you're going to turn the tournament potentially into a bit of a massive mismatch. So you're not, yeah, I think you're doing the opposite of growing the sport. and It's just a very peculiar process. But FIBA, as Glenn Grunwald just said, I mean, they act in mysterious ways, and they do that in the five-on-five game as well as the three-x-three game. So it's uh, yep. it's an interesting thing to observe. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. We're back after the news. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.